Alright, you can be seated. This week, I had the difficult privilege of um, being called into the hospital room of a man I did not know. Sometimes that happens um, in pastoral ministry and probably in ministry in general that you are called to visit someone that you don't know uh, in a circumstance that you don't, aren't familiar with. You have no context for their life or their situation or why they're there or who's around them. Uh, this, I got a text uh, of a friend uh, of this person, a distant relative of this person, and said they're requesting a minister to come. And so you never know what situation you're stepping into as someone just wants a, a person of faith. Sometimes I don't even know if they know what faith, but they want a person of faith to be there. It's a comfort. It's a, a to have that person as a presence there. So I walk, I go to UNMH, and I go to the trauma uh, ICU unit, and uh, room four, there's a man with just hooked up with tons of tubes, uh, looks close to death, and in fact he is, and I walk in, and I introduce myself, and I just start having a conversation with him. And... As I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, what is, what is it this, this man needs to hear? And I'm praying, you know, I'm, what is, here I am, invited into this space, invited to be with this man at the hour of his death. This family doesn't think they're going to, he's going to make it. And uh, he's all alone, and I don't even know if he knows I'm going to come. But I, I show up, and I'm sitting there, and I'm getting to know him a little bit. It was funny, he had a rubber chicken like a squishy rubber chicken, bring some levity to the situation, that was on his hospital bed. And I asked him about it, and he, he said, yeah, I've had it for 40 years. What? I didn't know if it was the drugs, and I confirmed it later with his family. That he's had this rubber chicken for 40 years. It's like his thing. He's always got a rubber chicken. And apparently it's not the same rubber chicken. It's a different rubber chicken that's had 40 years, but it's always like every Christmas, it's at the dinner table and everything. So it's with him here. And so I'm... I'm asking him about this rubber chicken, and I'm kind of thinking, what does this man need to hear at this moment? What is good news to this man at the hour of his death at the hospital as he lays there alone without anyone? And I realized, right, it's, it's the gospel. It's what we've been talking about. It's that God is with him, that Jesus is God with him that Jesus is God for him, that Jesus is God who knows and understands his weakness, he understands his frailty, he understands his pain, he understands his fear, he understands his doubt in that moment. He needs to know the good news that in Jesus, God has showed him God's love, right? That he needs to know that God is love, that he needs to know that God loves the world and that God loves him in this moment, no matter what he's done or no matter where he's been, no matter what's going through his mind at that moment, that in Jesus, God has said, I love you. He needs to know the good news that through Jesus, God has saved the world from sin. 
He saved that man, the man himself, in the hospital bed from sin, from the sin committed against him that has tormented him his life, as we all are. The sin that stares him in the face at the hour of his death. The sin that says uh, death is something to fear. He's been saved from that. He can be saved from that. He's been saved not only from the sins committed against him, but he's been saved through Jesus by the sins that he himself has committed against others. The ways in which he's contributed, right? To, to the way the world is. The ways, the part that he's played that we all play in the hostility and in the hatred and in the isolation and the pain that we experience in the world. He can be saved through Jesus from that sin that torments him, that he's contributed in. He needs to hear the good news, right? That Jesus came to set up the kingdom of God. That there's a whole new way of living. There's a whole new way of seeing the world. There's a way through the lens of love and justice and peace and mercy. There's a world that Jesus has come to set up in which rich and poor Red, white, black, yellow. They're all precious in His sight. They're all invited to the same table. They're all given equal dignity and worth and value. It's a place, the kingdom of God, where we all come together. We're all reconciled. He needs to know that Jesus has made such a world possible in that moment, at the hour of His death. He needs to know that in Jesus, he, God has shut down religion, right? That at... As he's laying there, dying, his job, he does not have to rehearse. What have I done or what have I not done to keep me from God or get me to God, right? Can you imagine, I'm sure you can, that you're laying at the hour of your death, about to die in your hospital bed, and you begin to think, well, did I do enough? Did I do enough to gain God's favor? Did I do enough to climb the mountain to get to God? See, the good news that this man needs to hear is that his lot in life was not to climb the mountain to get to God. His lot in life was to be with the God who came down the mountain to be with him. And that, that God is with him even now. He needs to know the good news that he can share in God's life, right? The gospel in 30 words. This is what this man needs to know. That, that there is this beautiful announcement, the best news that has ever been shared, that we've been talking about. And that's not hyperbole, okay? The best news ever announced, ever proclaimed, is the gospel, is the good news that Jesus is God with us, right? We're going to put you the slide. To save us from sin, to set up his kingdom, to shut down religion, so that we can share in the life of God. This is what we've been talking about the last eight weeks. It's the most beautiful news that we could ever hear. It is the most powerful news that we could ever take into our life and allow it to change us. And so what I want to do to wrap this up is to talk about like what does it look like to appropriate this news, to like bring it into my life so that it can change me, so that it's good news for me. It's good news for the world. It's so that it changes me and changes the way I see the world and changes the way that I see people and actually has the power to change the relationships of me to humanity, other human beings, of me to God, and of me to creation. It is life-changing, like this news. And so let's talk about it. How do we receive this 
gift. I want to read Paul, an early follower of Jesus. He was actually a terrorist. He actually killed the, the first Christians. He would hunt them down, arrest them, kill them. And he was radically transformed by this good news. He began to believe that it was true and it changed his life. And this is what he says about receiving the gospel, about believing the good news, about having it be a part of your life. He says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. How do we live into this good news? How do we get it into our life, into our souls, and allow it to change us from the inside out? And the answer is grace through faith. By grace through faith. So I want to talk about these words. Grace is by grace you've been saved through faith. First, grace. What is grace? If you had to say what is grace, how would you describe it? I would describe it as a gift, all right? Grace is a gift. It's pure gift. It's pure gift. This will come up in a minute. Tim Keller, a pastor out of New York, describes grace this way. He says, grace is an undeserved gift from a completely unobligated giver. All right, so two conditions are, are, need to be present for there to be grace. Grace is undeserved by the recipient and unobligated by the giver. All right? So here's some examples. You tell me if this is grace. Okay, first, parents uh, caring for a rebellious child. This child is a young child but the child does not listen, the child is ungrateful, but the child is sick, and the child needs care. So the parent cares for this child, even though ungrateful, disrespectful. Is this grace? All right? It's not grace, because while the child is undeserving of that care, the parent is obligated, right? I mean, you have, as a child, one of the things you take on as a parent, you give, you know, you have a child, um, you are taking on the obligation to care for that child, even if they are brats. All right, so that's not grace. It's kind, it's good, but it's not grace. Scenario number two, tell me if this is grace. A teacher, a teacher even more stellar than Mike Platt. All right? He's won all the awards, and he's coming. He cares for his students. He's present to them. Maybe almost as good as Gabriel Town. I don't know. But he has done well. He's present with his students, and he's had a career. And uh, he's received rewards, awards, and all this, and now he's coming to retirement age. His students that year say, we're going to pool together our funds and give him a, a gift. Is this grace, the gift given to this teacher? No? All right. Okay. You guys are doing pretty good. Grace. Now, he does, they're unobligated. The students are unobligated to give him this gift. They don't have to. There's nothing that says you must give your, you're obligated to give your teacher a gift. 
But he's pretty deserving of it. I mean, he's a pretty good teacher, right? He deserves a gift. So it's not grace. All right, third. There's a neighbor. He lives in an apartment uh, next to yours. And he's hateful. He's mean. You don't want to... You walk very quietly by the door so you don't disturb him. Anytime your music is on, he comes and he knocks on your door. And he's like, turn that down. And he cusses you out. And uh, when he's got his music on, you go ask him, hey, could you turn that down? It's a little noisy. He's like, shut up. And he turns it up. All right? He's, he's a jerk. He gets sick. He gets sick. He's got no one because he's a, he's a jerk. There's no one really around him to care for him. He has no family. And you notice that he's sick. And you go and you cook him dinner. You run his errands. You uh, care for him. Is that grace? All right, that's a, hey, no fighting, no fighting. Yeah. Right. I'm glad you're engaged. That's good. Grace. No, that's his grace. It is undeserved and unobligated. The neighbor, you are not obligated to cook this man's meals, to serve him, uh, to uh, take care of him. And he's undeserving. He's a jerk. And he hasn't done anything to deserve it. So this is grace. Undeserved gift by a completely unobligated giver. And this is what God has done for us. This is grace. God is unobligated to save us, to come and be one of us. God is unobligated (coughs) to pursue a people that continually reject Him and walk away from Him and forget Him. And, and humanity is undeserving. We really are. There's nothing that we have done to deserve the absolute lengths to which God has come to pursue us. It's unobligated giver and an undeserved recipient. And Paul is saying this is what salvation is. By grace, by pure gift, have you been saved. It's pure gift. It says in Romans 5, Paul, Paul, in another letter to the Romans, this is to the Ephesians, to the Romans he says, if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled, made right with God through the death of His Son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through His life? The point I want to focus in on there is that while we were what? Did you hear that? What? I didn't hear it. Yeah, sinners, enemies. While we were enemies of God. This isn't just like people that like just kind of mess up and are just kind of, he feels bad about because they're just kind of, you know, dull in the head. No, these are his enemies. The people that are bent against him. He says, no, I'm going to go all the way to the cross to see that you can be saved. Even though you hate me, I will pursue you in love. That is grace. Undeserved gift by a completely unobligated giver. Now, there's another word here, faith, right? If grace is pure gift, what is faith? Faith is receiving that gift. Faith is receiving that gift. So when God reaches towards us with a gift, it's called grace. When we reach out and receive it, it's called faith. Faith is a response to grace. All right. Sonia, can you come up here real quick? Do you mind? All right. 
I have a gift for you. Come on up here. I have a gift for you. I bought this with my own money that I worked pretty hard for. (laughs) And I'd like to give it to you. Would you like to cake it? Sure. Are you sure you trust me? Like, are you sure that I'm going to give you something that's good? What is there? Is, there, is this a good gift? You think? Mm, I don't know. You don't know? Well, you you want to take it? Yeah. All right. You take that. Now, wait. I'm going to have you open it in a minute. But okay. this is Grace. Okay, Sanaya. I I'm giving her this gift that I've purchased that I've paid for, and I want to give it to her. Now she doesn't have to receive it. Okay, I can give it. I can offer it at no cost to her to her. And she can reject it. Let me, now I'm going to give it to you and you just say, I don't want it. You don't want it? What? Come on, please take it. No. <laughs> you don't want it. All right, all right, cool. All right, so she, I can offer it and she can reject it. So grace is present, but faith is not. So the way to receive the grace is that you accept it. Here you go. I gave this to you. You want it? Okay. Yeah. Now open it. See if it's good. a good gift. All right. Let's open it up. It's all yours. You really get to keep this, okay? Let's see. What is it? What is it? I think it's gummy bears. All right, give her, give Sanaya a hand. All right, there you go. Thanks, Sanaya. Appreciate it. All right. So, grace is the gift. Faith is receiving that gift. You, in order for that grace to be accepted, there has to be faith, right? It has to be received. Um, so if grace is true, what we've described, this beautiful gospel that we've said in one word is Jesus, in three words is Jesus is sovereign Lord and King. That's not three words. Jesus is King or Lord. Um, and 30 words, what we've discussed. If this is true, it's beautiful. And if it's this beautiful and this good, then the only thing left to do is to believe, is to trust that it's good. Now, Sanaya knows me um, pretty well, and she received the gift. Now, she didn't know it was in the package. She didn't know it was in store. She knew it was a gift. She knew it was free. But I could have, you know, if I was a mean person, it could have been filled with roaches or something, you know? But it wasn't. It was sweet, good candy, gummy bears. I gave a good gift because I'm, I'm a nice, good person. God has given us a good gift, and we trust in the giver of that gift. And we say, I don't know what's in store with me. Like this grace thing, the salvation thing, it's beautiful, but it's bigger than I can comprehend. I don't totally know, but what I know of God, what I know of how God is revealed through Jesus, I can receive this gift. I will take the step of faith and unwrap this gift and receive it. That's faith. So faith has two pieces to it, okay? Two Two sides of the same coin. Faith equals repentance and belief. In uh, Jesus says, Jesus says, he comes on the scene. This is the first words he speaks, at least that are recorded. He says, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. And he says, repent and believe the good news. The good news is what we talked about, that God, Jesus is God with us, come to show us God's love, save us from sin, set up his kingdom, shut down religion so we can share in God's life. He says, I am here. The kingdom of God has come. And he says, repent and believe in the good news. Now, the word repentance has got some, some baggage, right? We see televangelists and movies and like, repent, right? 
They say, repent. <coughs> what, we, we, what this simply means is a change of mind, a change of perspective, a worldview shift, right? Jesus comes on the scene and everything begins to change. The way that people are treated begins to change. Society treats the poor, treats women, treats the leper one way, and Jesus comes on the scene and he says, you got to rethink this whole thing. Rethink this whole social structure. Rethink this whole idea of what's clean and unclean. Look, I'm touching the leper. I'm not saying go from me. I'm touching the leper. I'm bringing healing to the leper. I'm eating with sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes. Look who I'm hanging out with. Change your perspective. Change. There's a new way in the world. Repentance just means a new way of thinking. It means what it means, what it looks like to repent is, here's some examples. You say, wait, like God is way different than I always believed him to be. I always believed God to be this distant, angry, disappointed being that I couldn't really relate to. And now I see that he looks like Jesus. And that God isn't distant, but he's, he's with us. And he, he like took on flesh. He dwelt among us. His heart is for, for the poor. His heart is for the rich. His part is for humanity to bring them together. You begin to, so you change your way of thinking about who God really is. You begin to change your way of thinking, like, who, who am I? Like, maybe you think, I'm a pretty good person. Like, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I'm safe. I'm, I'm cool. And then you're around this Jesus guy. And you begin to see, wait a minute, like, I don't love like that. I'm not patient like that. I don't stand against injustice like that. Maybe I, maybe there's some things that need to change in me. Maybe I'm not as good as I thought I was. Maybe I haven't understood what it means to be, like, truly human, like God has created me to be. And we look at ourselves next to Jesus, and we start to have a change of thinking, a repentance, uh, repentance means that um, life, we begin to see life is not just centered around me, but centered around Jesus and his will and way for the world. Like, so we start to see, hey, life's not always all about comfort. Life's not all about getting more and more. Life's not all about um, independence. It's about interdependence, right? It's not about just consuming things. It's about sharing things. It's not just about competition and and getting ahead. It's about bringing others along into this awesome life that God has. So that's what repentance is. Is this making sense? Kind of? You can say yes. That's cool. All right. I dare you to say no. Someone? All right. So that's repentance. Belief is trust. Belief is trust. Repentance is like, things are different than I thought. And belief is trust. Like when Sanaya took the gift, she, that's an act of trust. This isn't going to shock you. It's not like, you know, when I was a kid, I had um, a, a gum pack that had like a little shock thing in it. And I'll be like, hey, Allison, my sister, you know, hey, you want a piece of gum? Oh, sure. You know, that's, that's not what this is. Um, Sanaya had to accept and trust that, hey, Jessie is giving me a good gift, and she had to believe that it was a good gift, that it wouldn't shock her, that it was good. So this idea of repentance and belief, I kind of think of, have you ever been lost before? Anyone been lost? Imagine being lost, that feeling that you have when you're lost. You're like, okay. You get scared, you feel very alone, you feel very vulnerable. 
Um, if you've been lost in the woods before, it's super scary. Imagine being lost in the woods, and it's dark, and you know, you're hearing the stereotypical coyotes, and uh, it's, you're terrified, it's cold, it's going to be below freezing, you have, you're not prepared for this, you have no idea which way to go, you don't know how to survive, Bear Grylls, you did not watch enough uh, Bear Grylls, you don't know anything, and so you just become terrified, you're lost in the woods, and you're going to die. And along comes a man who says, hey, are you lost? Yes. See, the repentance is that, that starting to see, oh, I'm lost. Like, I do not know what I'm doing. I'm not as safe as I thought I was. What is going on? And belief is this man coming and saying, hey, I know the way out. I know you just go this way. Hey, follow me into the dark forest, right? That takes some trust and belief, right? Do I believe that this man knows the way out? And to believe is to say, okay, I'm going to follow this guy. And I'm going to trust he knows where we're going. So that's what faith is. Faith is responding to the gift. It's receiving the gift that is completely free. And it is accepting it through repentance and faith. Saying, the world is different than I thought it was. Jesus is showing me who God is and the way that I'm supposed to live. And I'm going to follow him. I'm going to accept this gift of salvation that is perfectly free. So, repent, change your way of thinking. When we change our way of thinking about God, that is repentance, and ourselves, and who we are in relationship to God, and we trust in His love, that is faith, then we are ready to receive His forgiveness. Now, forgiveness requires someone to offer it and someone to receive it if it's going to lead to reconciliation, okay? If it's going to mend a broken relationship. So when I am a jerk to Joanna, which happens every once in a while, and I, almost every day, and I have hurt her feelings, and I recognize that, I have this moment of repentance, I'm like, that was not right, Jesse. You are actually a jerk. You are not as nice as everyone thinks you are. You are mean. You need to go ask forgiveness and say you're sorry to Joanna. So I go and I say, Joanna, please forgive me. I'm sorry. Um, will you forgive me? She could say, yes, I forgive you. And I could say, well, actually, I don't want to receive that, right? Like, no, actually, I want you to stay mad at me. Or whatever. It has to be accepted. Or if someone has done something bad, um, I'm sorry. If, you, if I offer forgiveness to someone, someone has hurt me, someone has wronged me, and I say, I forgive you. And they say, well, for what? For what? Well, I mean, you were kind of a jerk to me, and it hurt my feelings. Whatever. No, it wasn't. See, I have extended forgiveness, but they haven't received it, so the relationship cannot be mended. Now, we can offer forgiveness and it not be received, and that's still good for us to do. Let me recommend you do that. Okay? Someone can hurt you and wound you, and you need to forgive them. What did Jesus say on the cross? His last words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, some of us will receive that offer of forgiveness, and others will reject it. But He has forgiven us. 
when I, ref- when I receive forgiveness, that relationship is mended. But when I offer forgiveness and it's not returned, it's still good. Because to not forgive someone, and this is a side note, to not forgive someone, you probably heard this before, is to like drink poison and hope the other person dies, right? Like Preston's offended me and I'm just not going to forgive him. So I'm going to drink the poison and he's going to die. I'm going to drink more. I'm gonna, what's that? Nothing's happening. I'm dying. He's not dying. To forgive, you've got to release. So all that to say, though, forgiveness has to be offered and received. And so here's the deal. God is full of forgiveness. His heart is to, of, towards us is one of forgiveness. He's offering forgiveness. Are we, the question is, going to receive it? Are we going to accept that forgiveness? Are we going to say, no, I didn't do anything to offend you. I didn't do anything to contribute to this mess that is the world. Or am I going to say, you know what? I have wronged you. I do need forgiveness. I do need release. I do need freedom from sin. I'm realizing that I'm trapped and in bondage to sin and the fear of death, and I need freedom from it. And we receive that forgiveness, and reconciliation can happen. (coughs) So, how does this good news get into our life? It's a gift of grace. All we need to do is receive it. God reaches out to us through Jesus and says, here is pure gift, salvation by grace. And by faith, we take it, and we accept it into our life. And we start following the one who says he knows the way out. He knows the way out of the forest. He knows the way out of meaninglessness. He knows the way into life with God, into life that we were meant to live. That's what faith is. So the question I have as we, as we end here, we've been talking about this for several weeks, and I started by saying, I want to give us a common language for the gospel so that we can share it. Because this is the best news that has ever been proclaimed. This is the life-changing, world-changing stuff. Like This will change the world, and it has been changing the world since Jesus walked the earth. It's changed the world, and it's changed me. And we should want others to know this so they can be changed, so they can live life with God. And so the, the idea here is that we would have common language and a common passion to share this news. Again, it's not the 30-word formula, but it's like when someone is sitting on the curb next week when we're eating a barbecue together and they say, I'm addicted to drugs and I haven't seen my family for months. You say, you know what? God loves you and he's shown us that. God loves you. He's with you. That's, that's sharing the gospel. That's good news to someone who thinks they've messed everything up. That we can share it. The other thing that I said is that I'm hoping, and I know there's, there's some among us that haven't received the gift. That we have, and we, ha- we didn't even know there was a gift, maybe. And so my question to you is, are you ready to believe? Are you ready to take that gift and receive it with faith, believing that you can trust God who looks like Jesus? You can trust the God who looks like Jesus. That's, that's my hope. That's my question. Now let me say a word real quick about doubt, and then I'm done. Do you think faith and doubt can go together? The answer is yes. Okay? Faith and doubt are not opposite 
They, they can coexist. In fact, they do. In Matthew 28, this is an awesome verse. Let me show you this, okay? Because I think we think, well, I have to figure it out. Like, I have to prove everything that, um, on hard scientific fact that this and this and this happened. I have to be fully 100% convinced. Um, and that's just probably never going to happen, all right? Uh, and so... Faith is not contrary to evidence, but faith takes us beyond evidence. It's not unreasonable to believe, but it takes us often beyond what we know and can comprehend and understand. So Matthew 28, if I can find it, there's this, it's this beautiful, powerful scene where this is after the disciples, those who had followed Jesus and walked with him and seen him heal people and seen him raised people from the dead and seen him um, and heard his teaching and they saw him crucified, they saw him nailed to a cross, they saw him put in a tomb and then they saw him after that, like in flesh and blood, resurrected and they followed him around, they ate fish with him and so these, these disciples had followed him around and let's see here, verse 16 the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. So Jesus is like, we're going to meet on this mountain. Meet me there. Verse 17, when they saw him, they worshipped him. How many of them are worshipping him? Sounds like all of them are worshipping him. But some, what? Doubted. All are worshipping Jesus, some are doubting. All are worshipping Jesus, some are doubting. Faith, worship, and doubt can go together because we are human beings. And, and this is huge stuff. Can you imagine being a disciple? You've seen all this stuff. You're like, where is this coming from? You've seen this guy crucified. You've lost all hope. You thought he was the Messiah, the Savior. You thought he was the one, and then he's crucified, and then he's risen from the dead, and then he's on this mountain. He's going to go. What is that? It's like too big for your brain. But they're like, they're worshiping because they know there's something real about this guy. There's something real and true, and they're going to stake their life on it. They're actually going to die themselves. They're going to be killed for their faith. But there's doubt. And so let me end with this. Like, we don't have to have... Our faith will never be perfect. Our faith will never be whole But until the end. But here's what you need. You need that step of faith. Kierkegaard said it's a leap of faith. It's like jumping into the abyss and saying, I believe. And so I gave you this example. I'm a, uh, a few weeks ago, there's two women. We could say two men as well, but let's say two women. Two women, they're going to get on the same plane to go overseas to Europe. One woman is super confident in the crew and the plane to get them across the ocean. Like She's like, no doubts. I've never heard of a plane crashing. Not going to happen. We're good. The other woman is like, I am terrified. She's popping ginger pills and all the stuff that knock her out, Xanax and all this stuff. She's terrified, but they both step on the plane. The plane takes off, crosses the ocean, lands in perfect safety. Did it matter how much faith those women had? See, it wasn't the level of faith that the woman had. It was the integrity in the object of their faith that mattered. 
The plane had integrity. The crew had integrity. It, had, it got them across the ocean. And so if you have a little faith or tons of faith, the call is to receive the gift and to start walking with Jesus. And that's what changes everything. And that's the journey of a lifetime. And that's sharing the life of God. And so you might not have all the answers. And I want to invite you to keep pursuing answers, even if you doubt, right? Pursue them. But don't let that keep you from taking a step to journey with Jesus in this awesome, amazing, beautiful mission that, remember, we talked last week, gives us a new family and a new mission um, that will change the world. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you, God, that you are good, that you are good, and that we can trust you. You are good. You give. You're the giver of every good and perfect gift. So we want to receive the gift of the good news that changes everything. God, and we want those around us, Lord, our neighborhood, to see the good life that can come from the good gospel, the good news from a good king. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give us faith, strengthen our faith to receive that gift and to trust you and follow you out of the woods, follow you in life. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing uh, together one song. And, oh, are we? Yeah, let's sing together. I want to do that. Let's sing this and then we'll eat together.